who don't know me, uh, my name's Paul Brigden. I holiday here regularly with my family, um, and so we were down here again this weekend. And uh, look, I, I work in Sydney as a, a chaplain, a primary school chaplain in uh, a school in Sydney, and I can hear that my voice is a bit soft, so I'll raise mine so we can avoid the feedback. Um, let me pray just to begin with. Heavenly Father, we, we are very thankful that on this Father's Day, it doesn't matter whether we have a great father or uh, not, that we have you as our Heavenly Father and a wonderful model to follow. Father, as we see you at work in this passage today, please help us to respond to you properly. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, this passage has, it's, it's really got that contrast, doesn't it? Because you've got that wonderful picture of genuine Christian community and then you've got someone doing the wrong thing and uh, instantly dying um, and that's scary. Let's face it, I look at that each time and I go, that, that, that is shocking and I always wonder, why do they have to die straight away? Why, why did they not get the patience extended to them that's extended to me to repent and um, maybe work out what they had done wrong? Um, and so it, it, it's really worth just trying to get our head around to because that helps us in our relationship with our Father, doesn't it? Um, before we get into the passage properly, there were a few things that I thought of and I thought we should know straight up before we look at the passage. And the first of them is that the passage that was read out today, and thank you, uh, was read out today, um, expands on uh, an incident that, or, or a passage that was uh, read out to us briefly a few weeks ago. And that's Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. And that also says that the whole church was uh, in awe and everyone shared their possessions and how wonderful the church was. And I think this passage, because it's covering much the same material, uh, gives an expanded picture. So we'll, we'll look at uh, Acts chapter 2 will help us understand Acts chapter 4. Secondly, I don't think this passage is really primarily about money. Money is just the, the, the trigger or the driver to drive home a, a bigger point. And I think it's used because, well, money affects all of us. When I was a student minister, I, I worked under Raj Gupta, who's at Toongabbie Anglican, and he would say about uh, church numbers, church attendance, that they aren't everything and they aren't nothing either. And you could say the same thing about money. Money isn't everything. There are all sorts of things money can't buy and much as we hate to admit it, you can't take it with you. On the other hand, you can also identify some wonderful things that you could do, noble things, godly things, that can't be done at the moment because there isn't the money for that purpose. So money isn't everything, but money isn't nothing and it affects all of us. And so what we do with our money is a really good indication of where our heart is. So I think it's, it, that's the whole point of the money being there. It's not really the money, it's what it says about us that's far more important. And finally, um, I look at this passage and I think of church history and I think that so many people have looked at that and go, our church isn't like Acts. Why isn't our church like Acts? It's nowhere near as united. There are all these problems. I was only talking to a friend yesterday and I said, oh, how's church? And she said... Church is hard work. 
And I thought, yes, it always is, isn't it? Because we'd both reached that stage of life where, you know, we were involved in the hard work of being involved in church. And she was talking about some of the problems. And that's, that's the reality for a lot of people, I think. And so you look at this and you go, why can't we go back to Acts? And I think it's just worth remembering up front that, well, one of the reasons we can't is that God broke that community in Jerusalem apart. He didn't break it up so that it no longer existed, but he did break it apart. You might remember the first person to die for being a Christian was Stephen. And it says in Acts chapter 1, um, chapter 8 verse 1, sorry, that on that day, on the day Stephen died, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and all the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. You might think, well, why? This is such a good thing going here. But Jesus had said to uh, the disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you're funny how they swap around, um, that uh, the disciples would be his witnesses throughout Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. And so that persecution was used by God as the, the first phase of expanding the church and spreading it out. Because as they scattered, they started up their own churches and they talked about Jesus. And it's worth noting the experience of fellowship was far less even at that point. Some places were clearly great. You, listen, you look at Paul's letter to the Thessalonians and he just praises them. It's, it's kind of like the model church, Thessalonica. On the other hand, his letters to the, to the Corinthians cover issues that I hope we never have to deal with. Um, that, that church was a mess and it's, it, it reigns through history as a bit of a mess. So as we look at this, I don't think we get a blueprint for Christian community. I do think we get a snapshot. I think we get a snapshot of Christian community from which there are principles that we can draw out of it that we can apply in our situation. But we're not trying to return to Acts, we're trying to learn from Acts uh, in, our, in our situation here. And so I think there are three principles that we can draw from from that passage. The first of them is that a genuine Christian community actually is one in heart and mind. You know, there's that phrase in, in chapter 4, verse 32, that they were all of one heart and mind. And I look at that and go, what does that mean? Interestingly, uh, doctrine doesn't seem to come to the fore very much. The, the whole idea of Christian teaching isn't really what's being focused on here. And that's probably because that's being covered at Pentecost with Peter's speech and then Peter's speech to the, the Sanhedrin. And in each case, he said Jesus rose from the dead. And it does make clear in verse 33 of chapter 4 um, that uh, the, the apostles were teaching that Jesus rose from the dead. And always connected with that is the idea that because of that, you can have forgiveness of sins through Jesus. And so they're still teaching that and as a result people are in awe and people are changed and how is that playing out? That's what matters. That that being one in heart and mind is, is played out in the way that people act rather than in what they say. How did they act? Isn't it interesting? There's no needy people among them. That's mind-blowing because that was pretty common back in that day. In fact, it was a, a unique moment, not unique, but it was the first time this had happened in history where you had a community and there were no needy people. 
And it fulfilled in Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 4, where Moses actually said, there need be no needy people, no poor people in the nation of Israel because the land is rich enough and God will supply your needs. And now this has finally happened. Um, and so people, uh, people who had wealth sold what they had as it was necessary from time to time and they just gave the money to the apostles who distributed it as it was needed. And so everyone was taken care of. Now, I don't know if uh, finances are the way we need to take care of people here or not. It may be that over the next few years, as we are now in a recession, that um, there will be those calls. We are at the beginning of, of what's happening here and we don't really know what's ahead. God does, we don't. But I wonder if the way we take care of each other is more than just with our money. What does seem to be clear is that um, at the moment, people are struggling uh, emotionally, people are struggling mentally, and there's a huge increase in the call for uh, mental health services at the moment. I wonder if one of the great things we can do is stay connected with each other, whether it's on the phone or whether it's by Zoom or whatever it happens to be, we keep in touch. And we, we don't just say, hey, how are you? But, hey, how are you? And tell me what's actually going on and let me share with you what's going on with me. And we actually support each other emotionally. We may not have the money, but we can spare the emotional energy. It's, I, I think the other side of that is, is as well, we, when we are of one heart and mind, we have the same purpose. And so, as a result, we use whatever opportunities we have to, to encourage each other and build each other up. I became a Christian in year 11 at St Paul's Grammar School. A guy by the name of Adrian Lamrock um, was the, the main guy whose ministry brought me uh, into a relationship with Jesus. One of the key events that Adrian wasn't actually at was uh, a Christian fellowship camp at Kaihila, which is a Christian campsite in the Blue Mountains. And um, most of the staff from, from school on the camp were teachers. But there was one exception, a guy by the name of Rod. To be honest, I can't, to my shame, I can't remember his last name. Um, Rod was the maintenance man, but he was involved in Christian fellowship. He didn't teach, didn't have a teaching degree at all, uh, but he was used mightily by God in the school because what the school would do is whenever someone was on an internal suspension, so they, had, they were suspended, they, they couldn't go to class, but they had to turn up to school in school uniform. Um, to be honest, I think it's much more inconvenient than the other kind. Um, and they, they turn up and they're sent to Rod. And Rod would just chat with them. Yes, they've got to do gardening. Yes, they've got jobs to do. Yes, they'll be wearing a pair of gloves, although probably not back then because unless it was gardening gloves. But you, they had work to do, but he would just chat. And he was the friendliest face that they had encountered probably in a couple of days. And they would just tell him what was frustrating them, what was, what was on their heart. And if nobody else would talk, if they wouldn't talk to anyone else, they would talk to Rod. And he would just love them. He would just talk to them about the Bible and what, you know, how the Bible brings it to bear. And um, he, he had an important ministry. He helped those kids who uh, weren't helped by the rest of the system. I could name two other maintenance men who've done similar ministries, not necessarily in schools, but who have had that ministry in different areas. 
if we're of one heart and mind, then I think it's not just that we support each other with our finances. That's just the driver here. It's not even just that we support each other emotionally, though I think that's the big need at the moment. It's also that we, we look for and we find and we make the most of those opportunities that we have. Because when I walked into the school, if you had told me, hey, you know who one of the most important Christian influences in the school here? Check out Rod. I, I would never have believed it. But it is not that uncommon to see those guys doing that kind of ministry. You don't have to be a Bible teacher or even just a teacher in a school to do valuable work. There are opportunities in every working situation for you to honour God and therefore share in being of one heart and mind um, regardless of what you're doing. So, uh, a genuine Christian community is of one heart and mind that's expressed uh, not just through finances but also in emotional support and in making the most of the opportunities we have. Secondly, a genuine Christian community is in awe of God. And we saw that, you know, Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says there that they were all in awe. And this is kind of what awe looks like in, in chapter 4 and, and chapter 5. And you've got this contrasting, these contrasting examples. You've got Barnabas on the one hand, who didn't even, wasn't even a local. He came from Cyprus. Um, and he sold property, which was probably his life savings, I don't know, took it to the apostles and said, okay, that's yours, use it as you need to. And they changed his name to Barnabas and said, you're a son of encouragement because of that. Thank you so much. And, you know, we might not have the money to do that. We might. If we do, great, do so. It may be that we can be a son of encouragement in some other way just be by being friendly perhaps we've got other resources at hand perhaps it's simply you've got a truck and i can't think of the number of people who just need someone who knows how to drive a truck to come around would you mind if we just chuck this stuff in it and can you go and dump it somewhere or transport it somewhere it's that kind of you know how can we encourage each other kind of thing and then you've got the opposite you've got ananias and sapphira and you know i do teach this with my boys at school and uh, i work in a boys school and you know, they, they always go, whoa, why did, why did they die? And I always think the same thing. I think uh, David Peterson, who was one guy I was reading about this, nailed it when he said, the most we can say is that two people uh, sinned greatly in the life of the early church and God punished them for it. And I, we can't say much more than that with any certainty. But... It really is worth noting the way that sin was dealt was was viewed. Uh, when my when my kids or, or my boys at school or even sometimes adults as well, when they want to try and justify themselves, they say something like this: "I was just doing this or going to say or doing or saying or I was just." And that word just doesn't mean I was right. That word just means what I was doing was really small, really okay, really nothing to get upset about. Um, it, you know, it, it's a way of minimising or deflecting the concern that is being launched their way. Why are you in the building at recess? I was just going to the toilet. Ah, who gave you permission? You know, 
I say to my kids, you know, why did you hit that person? He was, I was just, because he was annoying me, and I was just responding. Here, the sin is not one of those, I was just moments. I was just holding a bit back. The way the sin was viewed was as a sin against the Holy Spirit. So if you look at verse 3, Peter says to Ananias, How is it that Satan has filled your heart, that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Lied to the Holy Spirit. That's, That's important. It's not just a lie. It's the fact that the Holy Spirit had so worked into this community that everyone was of heart, one heart and mind and everyone was supporting each other and they were coming along and not just lying to the people but lying to God himself and pretending that they were greater than they are. The issue wasn't that they held money back. They had the right to hold money back. They could have just said, I've sold this land, I'm keeping 60% and I'm keeping 40% for me and that was fine. Peter made it clear they had the right to do that. But they took that 60%, said it was 100%, and lied to everyone in the process. Now, why did they fall down dead? I don't know. I don't know for sure. But I think the fact that it was a lie to the Holy Spirit is part of it. Because when Jesus was accused of being like Satan and the prince of demons when he drove out demons, his response was, how can a house divided against itself stand and um, you have sinned against the Holy Spirit? And when you sin against the Holy Spirit, there is no forgiveness. In that situation, the Pharisees had said that the, the work of God, the work of the Holy Spirit in driving out demons was actually the work of the devil. You can understand why God takes offence at that. Here you've got a situation where uh, they are not just lying to everyone else, they're lying to God and they're doing it publicly. I think that's part of it. But I think another part of it is that God wanted to make a point. And that brings me to the third principle here, which is that a genuine Christian community Uh, worships God, not just uh, worships God in holy fear. We we worship God and we we love him and we experience his love and it's good to emphasise that. We should. We should emphasise that heaps. But we have here an incident where we learn that, uh, uh, that God isn't tame and he isn't a genie and he, he you don't mess with him. And that's not a bad thing to know. It's helpful to know where you stand with that stuff. Now, I don't think we need to walk out of here thinking, okay, well, was that particular sin a sin against the Holy Spirit and am I in danger of being struck down dead? No, I, th- I think the fact, it stands out because it's unusual. I don't think it's God's usual way of operating. Usually, he's patient. I'm certainly glad of his patience. He gave me 17 years to repent and become a Christian. Um, I'm very glad of his patience. He's been patient with me ever since. I'm very glad of that too. But you do not know, one thing I think we can draw out of it is we do not know the day when God will call you home. You do not know the day when um, 
you will die and you haven't necessarily had the chance to say goodbye and all of that stuff. And so as you serve God in holy fear, uh, I don't think you need to be terrified, but I do think you need to be ready. I do think you need to be ready by being able to say, each and every day, I have, uh, I have confessed my sins, I have made peace with God, I, have made pe- I am at peace with everyone else as far as I can be. I, um, I continue to nurture my relationship with God. Because you don't know when um, that day will come. Uh, 20 years ago, on the, the long weekend, um, my mother died very suddenly. Totally wasn't expected. I'd been out with her the night before. Um, she and my dad had driven me home, which was way out of their way. They drove to Linfield and they lived in Penrith and they drove from the city. So it was one of those way out of the way kind of things. And I've always been glad that as we got out of the, out of the car, I said, I loved you to my dad and I said, I loved you to my mum. Because um, I didn't know that would be the last time I saw her. Uh, it was totally an accident. My... Uh, my parents were out by the pool. My mum was doing some craft work, as she'd got into at the time. My dad was gardening, and he'd worked up a, a complete sweat, even though it was the middle of winter. And he went in for a shower. And he came out and found her in the pool. And, you know, it wasn't by her own hand or anything like that. As far as we can work out, we think it might be that she, she choked on something and coughed and fell the wrong way. If she'd coughed and fallen on the ground, airway would have cleared, but she coughed and fell in the water and so there was no chance for that. Um, But she died at just the right time. Her relationship with God had never been stronger. She died at a time when she could say that as best as she could with the opportunity she had, she had made peace with God, she had made peace with others, she had discovered anew her relationship with him. Um, it, I would have preferred she hadn't gone at that point, but it was, it was in some ways remarkably good timing. And she was ready. Not, not keen for it, but ready. And so when the day suddenly came, she was, she was okay. I think if we look at something like Ananias and Sapphira, the question that we can, we can ask is... Uh, as we serve him in that godly respect that we have, are we ready? Are we ready for the idea that when that, that, that you know we may be called home? We should be. That shouldn't be something that worries us. That should be something that goes, yep, I've got many days left, I hope, but in the meantime, I'm ready. I think that's... That's one thing we can take out of it is because you just don't know when that day will be. So as we look at our relationship with our Father on Father's Day, hopefully we see three really important things. Hopefully we see that by serving God we become of one heart and mind. Hopefully we see that submitting to God um, is an important aspect of um, of a genuine Christian community. And hopefully as we serve God... We do so not just with joy, but with a healthy fear, with a healthy respect for God and for who he is and the role he has in our lives. And we are ready for the day when he calls us home and we get to live forever with him. Let's pray that we can be that. Um, Now and then I'll hand back over to Grace. Heavenly Father, we...
we thank you that, that we are forgiven. That because Jesus has risen from the death and, and conquered death and defeated sin, because of all of that, we have been forgiven of our sins because we have trusted in him. Father, we thank you that you take so many different types of people and unite us in one heart and mind so that we can serve you with all the opportunities you give us. We thank you that you give us the opportunity to serve you and submit to you. And Father, we thank you that we can look forward to the day when you call us home. We pray, Father, that you would help us to be ready and looking for the opportunities to serve you each and every day. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.